0: Well, good evening. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, we'll pick up with verse 18. We'll finish up chapter 3 tonight, and we'll actually even get into the very first verse of chapter 4. So Colossians three eighteen through 4, 1. Uh, this is the next chapter. To last message in this series, so we so we got one more to go. Next week, we like I said, we'll cover verse one of chapter four tonight. But then next week, we'll cover all the rest of chapter four, including verses seven through eighteen, where it has a bunch of names of guys you can't pronounce. Right? We're going to cover those as well. So that's next week. Um, but tonight, we're going to to look at this passage, uh, Colossians three eighteen through four one, and this is starting to get into this, like like Colin mentioned, the household of faith, the household of Christ. So just to, to recap real quickly where we've been, most of Paul's letters follow a standard format of him, he shares the gospel, and then there's a transition point where he says, in light of the gospel, this is how you're supposed to live your life. And so that's exactly what he did with the book of Colossians. He exalted Christ. We spent the first couple of messages talking about the person and work of Christ Jesus, how he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that long list of just attributes where Paul has this beautiful depiction of who Christ Jesus is. But then we get into chapter 2, and he actually, uh, chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, now walk in him. And so there was the transition where he says, all right, you've received Christ. You know who Christ is. Well, now you need to walk in him. This is how you live your life. And then we actually had a similar verse, if you were here last week, in chapter 3, at the very beginning of chapter 3. Uh, verse 1, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above and, and set your minds on the things that are above. And so he's talking about how now we, now how we live our lives in light of the impact that Christ Jesus has had on us. And so what I wanted to kind of hammer home last week was that when Christ is changing our lives and how we live our lives, this is a change that happens from the inside out, not the opposite of that. Like we talked some last week about behavior modifications, how sometimes parents might want to uh, change some of their kids' behaviors. I don't want my kid to do that. Can you help me fix this? but it's more effective not to just manage behaviors, but to actually uh, preach the gospel and and teach the Bible. And then the Bible affects their beliefs internally. And then as their beliefs are shaped, then that will shape their behaviors. And so it's this change that happens on the inside and works its way out. And so tonight, we're going to take that a step further. As as these, this change happens and it becomes external, it starts on the inside, but then it moves to the outside. Well, once it moves to the outside, it's also going to, to affect how we interact with other people. We mentioned last week how we're supposed to violently murder, put to death these these bad characteristics, and then we put on the new characteristics of Christ Jesus. And I mentioned last week when you put on a, a brand new outfit or a new suit of clothes and you're looking really nice in that new suit of clothes, well, people are gonna take notice. And so as our lives are changed from the inside out, it will affect the relationships that we have with other people. And so in this text for tonight, Paul is talking about the relationships that we have with really the people who are probably, in a lot of cases, the ones who are closest to us, the ones who have the most day-in, day-out contact with us, and that is members of our own family, members of our own household. So let's look now to Colossians chapter three, starting in verse 18. He says, "Wives." All right, so before we dive into the text tonight, just kind of full disclosure. Um, if you remember kind of the end of the year last year, uh, Chad on Sunday mornings was preaching through the book of Revelation, right? And he mentioned a few times that of any of the sermon series or commentaries that he had found on Revelation, he, his sermon series was the shortest, right? He spent the, the least amount of time in Revelation of anybody else, right? And he kind of made mention like, wish we had more time to kind of dive into some more of these details. Well, this passage of scripture, really more than any other one that I've come across, when looking at how other pastors or other commentaries have handled this, this one, more than any other, gets broken up into more than one message. There are a lot of people who, like, there were really six categories, the wives and husbands, and then there so wives, husbands, children, parents, Uh, then servants, and then masters. So it's six categories there. There are some pastors who broke that up into six different sermons. There are others who at least broke it up into three, right? Just took them, like, put the two couples together. Well, I'm gonna try to do it all in one. And so that means we're not gonna be able to go into detail into all of these sections. And so I I do wish we had more time, but there's going to be so much, so many questions I'm not gonna be able to answer, so much that we're not going to be able to address and give the time that it really deserves. And so because of that, we'll, and we'll get to that in a minute, I'm going to try to come at this at a little bit different angle. But before we get there, I want to begin tonight by sharing with you two important truths. Two important truths. The, the first important truth, number one, is that our roles have been assigned by God. Okay? So, so talked about those six groups, those are the roles that I'm talking about. And so... Uh, and everybody in here should fall into at least one of those categories most of us are going to fall into multiple categories and so that means you have more than one, more than one role here well that role has been assigned to you by the lord so if you are a husband it means that you have received the gift from God who is your wife or you if you are a parent it means God has given you the gift of children and so he has assigned these responsibilities to you. And so what I want to do is very quickly kind of look when we talk about God's design and God's plan I love when it's appropriate to look back at Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Because Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is a glimpse into what God's creation is supposed to be like before Genesis chapter three, when, it, like, when sin enters into the equation and everything goes wrong, right? So if we look at Genesis one and two, what we see is that all of these different roles, all these different relationships, this was all part of God's plan from the beginning. So marriage, so that relationship between husband and wife, God's idea. Genesis 2, verse 18, Adam has been created, and God said it is not good for man to be alone. He creates for him a suitable helpmate. He gives him his wife, Eve. Having families, raising children, God's idea. In Genesis 1, 28, he gives Adam and Eve the command to be fruitful and multiply. These two image bearers made in the image of God, your job, one of your jobs, is to make more image bearers and fill the earth. So having family is part of God's plan from the beginning. And we don't see masters and slaves in Genesis 1 and 2, but we do see this idea of work and oversight of others. In uh, Genesis 2.15, it says that God put Adam in the garden to work the garden. And then again in Genesis 1.28, he gives Adam and Eve dominion, authority over the rest of creation. And so there is that sense of work and oversight that is here, part of God's design from the very beginning. So with that in mind, sort of a takeaway is that we must prayerfully consider different situations. So we know what, hopefully you know, what role you fit into, what your responsibilities are in relation to this text. But our tendency... Is to, when we hear a passage of scripture like this, where the writer is addressing certain groups of people, our temptation is to check out when we don't think it applies to us. Well, I'm, I'm not a wife, and so that means when it, he gives us the verse on wives, it means I don't have to listen or pay attention, right? Well, I wanna ask you to fight that temptation and not to check out in those situations because. If you remember back to last week, this is not about behavior modification. This is not about hearing the commands of scripture and saying, okay, this one applies to me, this is how I'm supposed to act. No, what's just as important, if not more important, is not just our behaviors, but it's our beliefs. And so, even though I'm not a wife and never will be a wife, it is important for me to know what scripture has to say about wives because I need to have right beliefs about that and that's going to affect my beliefs of what my role is as a husband. And so we we do need to prayerfully consider all the different situations, all the different roles and responsibilities, even if they don't directly apply to me, even if they don't directly apply to me right now or won't ever apply to me we still need to know and understand what God has to say. And then the second important truth, the first one was our roles have been assigned by God. Well secondly, in our roles, we are accountable to God. This morning when Chad was preaching through Psalm 96, or he was, um, he, there was a part where he was saying, like showing us how many times the word Lord was mentioned. Well, I wanna do that exact same thing tonight in this text. Over and over, we're gonna see that these roles have been assigned and we are accountable to the Lord. Look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands. Why? It is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. talks about bond servants. And end of verse 22. So, with, serve them as, uh, not as people pleasers but with sincerity of heart, fearing, the Lord, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, and then verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you receive an inheritance. And then he just hammers it home: you are serving the Lord. Then one more time, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, "Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven." So, as a husband, why do I need to obey the command? of what it says for husbands to do. Well, it's gonna benefit my wife, it's gonna benefit my family, but the main reason is because God told me to. And I'm gonna stand before him one day and give an account for what I did as a husband and as a father. So we are accountable to that. Now, statements like that and Passages of scripture like this might be difficult for some of us to hear. Because just as we said we need to be aware or consider. we need to prayerfully consider different situations, we also must prayerfully consider difficult situations. Like we're talking about how important it is for you to fulfill your role and responsibility as a husband or as a wife. Well, what about what if you're struggling in your marriage. It's real hard for some wives to hear, submit to your husbands without them immediately coming up and saying, well, you don't know my husband. You don't know what I have to deal with. You don't know what's going on in our home or what he does. Um, it's, it's hard for some husbands to say, love your wives and without saying, well, you don't know what our relationship is like. It's, it's real hard for some parents to say, to, to, to not provoke your children, to hear that command. And you might be tempted to say, you should see my children, they're the ones provoking me. We are, there are situations where people are struggling and it is hard, it is difficult to hear this. And I want you to know that I wanna be sensitive to that, and, and especially in what might be the extreme case, in, a, in abusive situations. The command of submitting to your husbands should, in no way, be a trap to a woman who is right now in the midst of an abusive situation at home. In fact, it says, Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. If your husband is abusing you physically, verbally, mentally, in any way, shape, or form, that is not fitting in the Lord. It says, children, to obey your parents because that pleases the Lord. Well, if parents are abusing children, that is not pleasing to the Lord. And so in these most difficult situations, please hear me say that these verses should not trap you, are not meant to trap you, in that difficult situation. In fact, let me encourage you to do what you can to receive the help that you need in those situations. Even maybe speaking up to someone tonight. Maybe even getting up in the middle of my sermon right now, taking someone by the hand and telling someone what's going on so that you can receive the help that you desperately need. So, so those are the two important truths we, these roles have been assigned by God, and in these roles, we are accountable to God. And now, we're gonna dive more into these verses and look at two incredible tasks. So first of all, there's obviously more than two commands in this text, right? There's at least six, because we've got six different groups here. Um, but what I've done is sort of combined them into two separate categories, three and three, right? Um, so there's these three uh, different couples, like husbands and wives, there are uh, children and parents, and then there are the servants and the masters. And so in the first category, I've taken the, I guess what, from the world's perspective, what you might consider to be the, the lesser of the two, right? The one who has been told to submit or to obey, which is the first one in each of these couples. And then in the second category, I'm talking about the one who has authority over them. Right, And so we're going to look at those two different categories. But like I said, we don't have time to really dive into everything that's involved in in any of these different categories or any of these different roles. And so what I wanted to do instead of trying to just do a bad job of explaining each one, what I wanted to do instead, as we have looked at the book of Colossians, And over and over, we have exalted the person and work of Christ Jesus. I wanted to just try to do my best to take each one of these roles and show how being obedient to these commands in these roles helps us to identify with the person and work of Christ. So that's gonna be the plan for tonight. So first, the first incredible task, number one, is to submit to the leadership of Christ. And then we're gonna take the first person in each of those three different couples. And so we're gonna look at wives very quickly. We're gonna look at children very quickly and then servants very quickly. So first wives, verse 18 says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And so instead of spending a lot of time talking about what submission looks like in the household with the wife submitting to her husband. What I wanna do instead is just remind you that Jesus Christ offers us the perfect picture of what godly submission is supposed to look like. Now, obviously Jesus was not a wife. In fact, when scripture talks about, like uses the analogy of marriage as a depiction of the gospel, Jesus is the bridegroom. We, the church, are the bride of Christ, right? but Jesus did submit perfectly to his Father. If you think about the fact that in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was approaching the cross, he prayed to his Father, and he said, essentially, Lord, if there is any other way we can do this, any other way that this plan can be fulfilled without me having to experience this torture and give my life in this way. How about we do that instead? But then he submitted and he said, not my will, but your will be done. So in Christ Jesus, we have the perfect picture of submission. But what I want to uh, make sure is clear is that in this act of submission to his Father's will, he did not lose any value or worth by doing that. So we, we look like, it, like, think about the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and they are all of equal value and worth. They're all God, but they have different roles and responsibilities. So within the marriage, You have two people, husband and wife, both made in the image of God of equal worth and equal value with different roles and responsibilities. And in a similar way that Jesus the Son submitted to God the Father, in this text, God is calling wives to submit to their husbands because that is fitting in the Lord. Secondly, children, he says, verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And again, in the picture person of Jesus, we have a, the perfect picture of what godly obedience looks like. We just gave an example of Jesus obeying his heavenly father. Let's bring this down more to our level, and let's remember that Jesus had earthly parents too. And so Jesus being raised by Mary and Joseph. Now, it's, it's easy for us to think of Jesus, even, even the perfect Jesus, sinless Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, it's easy for us to think about him submitting to the will of his heavenly father. But what about this perfect Jesus submitting to the will of ordinary sinful people, Mary and Joseph? Well, I want to point your attention, you don't have to turn there, but you point your attention to John chapter 2. There's this wedding that they go to, and they, they run out of wine at the reception, and Mary asks Jesus to do something about that. And he, his response is, no, it's not my time. Like, he's not, not here to, uh, actually, so he actually makes a pretty good point, right? Jesus knows that his purpose, his mission, is to come and seek and save the lost. Restocking the drinks at a party doesn't really fit into that category, right? But eventually, what does he do? He performs a miracle and he turns water into wine, not because he had to, not because it fit into the plan of redemption that his father had set forth. No, he did it because his mom asked him to. So he chose to honor and to obey her. So in the person of Jesus, we see this clear depiction of godly obedience, another example for us to follow. And then we also see Servants, verses 22 through 25. It says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So it tells them to work heartily, to work for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord they're going to receive an inheritance. We are serving the Lord. You are serving the Lord. It's interesting, to me at least, that when we get to servants, he actually has the most to say to them. All the other categories, they get one verse. He has multiple things to say to these bond servants. But what many people, and again, this is something we don't necessarily have time to really dive into all the way. One of the things that people get upset about is what he doesn't say. Paul, in this passage of scripture, does not condemn slavery because bondservants is what my translation says, but if we go back to the Greek, probably the most accurate way of describing that word is slave. And, and there's a lot of work that's been done by different commentaries and different scholars to talk about how slavery in first century, um, this time period and in this area was much different than pre-Civil War slavery in the United States. And there is some truth to that, but there still would have been great abuse that would have taken place in lots of situations. What we need to kind of rest in is that even though he does not condemn slavery here, there are multiple instances where he encourages slaves. Even in, uh, I believe it's First Timothy, encourages slaves to seek freedom if they are able to. And then I want to show you this. We'll talk more about this next week, but maybe even on the same page. Uh, if not, just need to flip one page over. In verse chapter four, verse nine, one of those names is a guy named Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave. If you're familiar with the book of Philemon, Philemon was the master, the slave owner. Onesimus runs away. And in the book of Philemon, Paul is writing to Philemon to say, receive Onesimus back not as your servant, but as a fellow brother in Christ. And that's really, and he talks. he's gonna talk to masters here in a minute about treating them justly and fairly. Uh, even if he seems to be saying that they're going to remain slaves in this context, he is saying that these slaves, these servants in the household, don't need to be treated as lower class citizens they need to be embraced as part of the family of god we also need to remember that in the person of jesus we find the ultimate act of service philippians 2 talks about how even though jesus is god he did not seek he did not see equality with god as a thing to be grasped but instead he emptied himself out and he took on the form of a servant He submitted to death, even death on a cross. So first incredible task is we need to submit to the leadership of Christ. And then secondly, we need to serve with the love of Christ. So I mentioned earlier that this next section, these next three people, these are the people who have authority over other folks. So if they're the ones who have authority Why in my outline here do I say that they need to serve? Because once again, what we see is Christ and the gospel radically reshaping everything we think we know about reality, about the way things work. See, in the church and in the Christian household, the ones who have authority are meant to not lord their power over others. They are meant to serve others with love and compassion. So first we see husbands, the command to love your wives. In verse 19, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Again, we see this picture of love best displayed in Jesus. The same author, Paul, in writing to another church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter five says, He says something similar. He says that husbands, you're supposed to love your wives, but he takes this step further. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, Christ loved his church so much that he died, that he sacrificed his life for us. And so a good godly husband should be willing to sacrifice himself for the good of his wife. We should be willing as husbands, as men, as husbands, as leaders of our household, we should be willing to sacrifice to such a great degree for our wives that our wives would see it as a joy to submit to us. Just as we, as members of the church, hopefully see it as a joy to submit to our Lord and Savior. Moving forward, fathers, in verse 21, says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Again, looking at Ephesians, he takes it a step further, says, do not provoke them to anger. And again, we see in Jesus this perfect sense of obedience in the relationship that he has with his father. So God the Father gave Jesus this command to go to the cross and die a horrible, painful death for the sake of evil sinful people. If you were to tell your kids to do that, how do you think that would go? But Jesus was willing to do that because he loved and trusted his father so much that he knew even this was going to be the best case situation even and so even when we don't necessarily see what the outcome is going to be. As parents, we need to love and value and cherish our children in such a way that they're willing to trust us enough to do what we're asking them to do, telling them to do, even when they don't think that it's gonna be what's best for them in the moment. I know that when I, as a parent, am most tempted to provoke my children to anger. It's oftentimes at a moment of their disobedience. And so, as a parent, and this is what Chad mentioned, the gut punch this morning from the previous message. Well, this is where I received that gut punch and and how I am raising and how I'm leading my children. We need to do a better job of loving and cherishing our children so much that they trust us to obey even when it doesn't seem to make sense to them in the moment. And then lastly, he talks to masters. Chapter four, verse one, masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so this idea, and again, there is, with it being the relationship between a master and a slave, there was no legal requirement for these masters to do, to in any way, shape, or form treat their servants with this type of respect. If they didn't, if they just treated them as lower-class citizens or, or just not even people, but just property, there was no legal penalty for them. They were fully within their rights to do that. But God's word is telling them not to do that, to treat them as equals, to treat them as members of your household who are, deserve equal respect because they have equal value. Treat them justly and fairly. And you better do that because you also have a master over you in heaven. So sometimes people want to like associate this with like, our workplace situation, if you are the boss at work, or if you have, even if you're like a supervisor who just have other employees who serve under you, we need to treat those people that we have authority over with with justice, with fairness, with respect. Again, as we look to the person of Jesus to see how we fulfill this and we identify with him, And as we kind of transition now into our time of response, I wanna point out to you that yes, we do have a master in heaven, but he doesn't always treat us with justice and fairness. And that's actually a good thing for us. You see, let's remember, we don't live in Genesis chapters one and two, we live in Genesis chapters three and beyond. That means we are fallen, sinful, broken people and sinful people deserve to be punished. When we break God's law, there are consequences for that. And justice means sinful people get the punishment that they deserve. And so, out of his great love for us, our heavenly master instead decided to punish, to pour his justice out on his perfect son. And if we place our faith in Christ, if we, receive that gift of mercy, that gift of salvation that is a free gift through Jesus and his work on the cross, we place our faith in him, confess him as Savior and Lord, then we get the reward that he earned and we were never able to. Look again at verse 24. He's talking to the servants here. But he says, knowing that from telling them to work heartily for the Lord as as for the Lord, not for men, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. The servants who are hearing this letter read out in the church, when they heard that word inheritance, their ears really would have perked up. Because as slaves, as servants, they don't get an inheritance. The inheritance is reserved for the children of the Master. Earlier, when Colin was leading us in worship, he talked about that last song about how it is a perfect depiction of what we see here. We were those people who don't deserve the inheritance, we are the the sinful people who only deserved punishment. but out of his rich grace and mercy for us, we have been adopted into his family. You can be adopted into his family today by confessing your sins, placing your faith in Christ, confessing him as Savior and Lord. In a moment, we're going to spend some time. Uh, we'll, we'll stand up and we will sing praise. And during that time, or even after the service, you may wanna come over here. There are some people who are gonna be in this room and they would love to talk to you about being adopted into God's family. But before we do that, I wanna spend some time in prayer. As we have ended each of these sermons on Colossians, I want us today to, to spend some time praying, humbling ourselves before the Lord and praying and letting our prayers be guided by the text we've just gone through. And the first thing I want us to pray about is I want us to remember those difficult situations. I want us to spend some time thinking about the people who are maybe even in this room right now who have a troubled marriage, or maybe who have already been through a divorce or have issues with their children or or children who are having serious issues with their parents, or, or maybe there are issues in the workplace with, with your boss or with your employees, difficult situations that we just need God's help. Maybe that's you, maybe you're the one who is just lifting up that prayer, desperately asking for God's help. Or maybe there are people that you know, and you need to spend this time lifting them up to the Lord by name. So first, ask God, to provide comfort and help to those who are struggling in their roles. Let's bow our heads and let's pray silently. we continue in an attitude of prayer earlier, I was talking about how uh, as the gospel changes us, it also changes our relationships with other people. And so we actually can't have these roles without there being other people in our lives to cause this. You can't be a a wife without a husband. You can't be a parent without having children. And so what I wanted us to do now is to actually give thanks to God for the presence of these other people. Ask God to help us to delight in our various roles and to give him thanks for providing the other people in our lives that make these roles possible. And then as we said, in each of these roles, we need to do the best job we possibly can of reflecting Jesus. So ask God to help us display the gospel to everyone around us and how we engage in our relationships with family members, people in our schools and workplaces, church members, and people in our community. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, we thank you for his work on the cross, we thank you for the change that he brings about and makes possible in our lives and how that reshapes us from the inside out, even to the point of how we interact with other people, even those closest to us in our own families and households. God, we want to begin tonight by lifting up to you the people who are struggling, maybe even just struggling just even hearing this message tonight, God, or, or reading these verses because of pain that they're feeling that's been caused by either past relationships or relationships they're currently in, God, that things aren't going the way that they wished that they were. God, I pray that you would provide comfort. I pray that you would help them to feel your presence in their lives right now, God. I pray, Lord, that you would provide help for them. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to seek that out, to have the bravery, the boldness, to be able to to ask for that help in the midst of their hurting and in their pain so that your people, our church, might be able to embrace them and to, to, to express our love to them and to provide the help, support, encouragement that they need, God. And we pray that you would do just a divine act of restoration, and whatever broken relationships are represented in this room, or by people that we know, that you would bring about healing, that you would restore marriages and relationships between parents and children, relationships between uh, in the relationships in the workplace. God, I pray for those who or in that extreme situation of, of feeling abused or have been harmed in some way, God. And I pray again for health and freedom and restoration to take place, God. And we pray for, for, for your justice to take place where it needs to, God. Lord, we also look to those people in our families, God, and we wanna give you thanks for them. Thank you for providing them and thank you for putting our families together, God. Lord, I pray that we would be grateful for our husbands and our wives and our children and our our bosses at work and our employees at work, our other coworkers, God. I pray, Lord, that we would give you praise for putting those people into our lives. And God, in all of those relationships, may we reflect your son, Jesus, to the rest of the world and how we interact with one another. May they see something different about us and may they be drawn to you. And as a result of how we lead our families and how we uh, are responsible in the roles that you have given us, God, that through that example that we set, people might come to know Christ as Savior. God, we give you all the praise and it is in his glorious name that we voice this prayer. Amen. Let's stand together, let's continue to praise him.